so good to be with y'all. Trust you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, I was back in New Hampshire, my wife and I, with our oldest daughter. But I was actually with you all last Sunday at this time. With our streaming service, uh, I was online with y'all, worshiping uh, with y'all last week. So to those of you online that we got to uh, uh, connect via online, because we get to make comments about the sermon, Johnny, and everything else while it's going on. It's a fascinating, fascinating process. We've had a church family member of ours that met Jesus face-to-face here just recently, Al Baker. And uh, so there'll be a celebration uh, this next Friday in this room at, uh, at 11 o'clock to, uh, to celebrate, uh, to celebrate uh, Al. Greatest of all time, you know, the GOAT as it's become known. It's a fun thing to talk about in all kinds of uh, fields. I remember when I was in college... We were, I came into the, the classroom and there was a group of uh, students talking about who's the greatest artist of all time. And there were names being thrown around, uh, you know, Michelangelo, Pablo Picasso. Uh, most of you might guess, I was on the periphery of that discussion. I just remember it taking place. I took the art class because it was a requirement. But you start talking about rock guitars, greatest of all time. Now I got some opinions. I mean, there's lots of names out there, but Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen, Eric Clapton, and you could go on and on and on, but it's fun to talk about. Now, a conversation, the greatest of all time, that one that I've actually been involved with several times is the best basketball player of all time. And I'm going to tell you, we got a guy here that I think deserves serious consideration. The end of his career, LeBron James, and it's not looking good for the Lakers, but what this guy has done, remarkable. Kobe Bryant. Now, I didn't put him up there because he's on most people's list, but for those of you who, who know Will Robbins, who is our former student ministries pastor, he would die on, on Kobe Bryant being the best player in the NBA. So that's why he made my, my list here, but most folks wouldn't do it. And then you go to Michael Jordan. And I think most folks would consider Michael Jordan the best NBA. And and these are fun conversations to have with people because the reality is everybody brings their perspective and and you bring your your view of who this person is and and you just get to have this discussion and and it's sometimes fun to see how passionate people get about something which I'm just going to suggest to you I think is usually pretty impossible to measure. But if we start talking about the greatest person of all time, if you've got even a hint of objectivity in who you are, it doesn't feel like to me there's much of a discussion necessary. There's just one. The one. Two thousand years after his birth, it's still the biggest holiday there is. Nothing else comes close. Now I get there's some Madison Avenue and, and consumeristic elements to it. I get it that have done that, but two thousand years later, why is Christmas still? Such a big deal. 
Because it's the birth of the one. Almighty God, second person of the Trinity, leaves the glory of heaven and comes to be born. Now, it's a familiar story. It should be a familiar story. But our hope around here at RCC is that for every one of us, this season would take us deeper into the love of God. That's what motivated the Father to send the Son into the world. Father, so I ask as we begin this series, this celebration of your Son's birth that you would move. We're going to look at texts that are familiar. We're going to look and talk about ideas that are familiar. But I pray that you would never let this familiarity prevent the truth of who Jesus is from touching our minds and our hearts. I pray that the love of this season for us would be deepened and experienced more fully and expressed more dramatically. Oh, Father, help us to experience your love. That's what Christmas is about. Your love for us. As we start out on this venture, Father, empower us. Be our guide. And I pray in this season, your love would fill us and flow out of us. It's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk a little bit about this one. His birth marks history. It's the center point from which we measure time. Now remember, you got Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds there. You got nobody, nobody, nobody that really knows about his birth. When it happened. But his birth marks time. We use B.C., ante Christum Natum, in the English again, before Christ was born, from the Latin, B.C., to mark time before he was born, after he was born. Anno Domini Nostro Jesu Christi, in the year of our Lord. Predominantly, we mark time, human beings. By his birthday. Now, it was Decinius Exegus, a monk in 525 AD that really started this system and it picked up popularity. Now, nowadays, again, it's just part of our culture, part of our world. People don't want to always reference it as Jesus. Let's remove the spiritual thing. So you, you notice lots of people don't say BC or AD. You, you notice what they write? Before the common era, BCE, and common era, CE. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. You take the Lord out of it, but you're still stinking using his birthday. So call it what you want, but you're still using his birthday to mark time. And Jesus is the one, the only one, whose birth was predicted 
hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happened. If you look at the Old Testament, there are over 300 references to Jesus' birth, to his life, to his death, to his ministry. Over 300. The reason we don't have a debate about who is the one and the best one, the best person of all time, most important is, there's nobody else for whom this is true. We can talk about rock musicians and and basketball players, but there's nobody for whom this is true, born of a woman. The first prophecy in the first book of the Bible. Adam and Eve have messed up. God's now talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The first prophecy of Jesus, this baby, the one. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This baby's going to be born of a woman. He's also going to be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and she shall give him the name Emmanuel. And if you look at the fulfillment in Matthew, literally means God with us. God loved us, so he came to be with us. His being spirit makes it harder for us to get a sense of who he is. Born of Bethlehem, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, the quietness, it's not even a big city. He comes in anonymity and obscurity. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, the ancient of days. And again, born to be God with us. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The greatest of all time. In love leaves the glory of heaven to be with us. In love. That's Christmas. Jesus is the one whose birth brings salvation. That angel declared to those shepherds, those lucky guys. I mean, I've long imagined, what in the world does it feel like to be out there minding the sheep in a job that really no one respects, that's on the, uh, on the lower level of status in the culture, and all of a sudden there's an angel telling you that the Savior that they've been looking for for hundreds of years has been born. I'm going to tell you, I think the first thing I would say is, eh, I got some doubts about this. Why would you come to us? The way the world works is important announcements go to important people, and that's not who we are. And they get this fabulous news, and the angel said to them, fear not. Again, I'm pretty sure if an angel showed up in front of us, I'm still pretty sure as much of the scripture I've read, my first emotion would be, oh, what's going on? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is a message for everybody, this message of God's love. Run to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. It's the bottom line of Christmas that God in his love sent his son into the world because he loves us and he sent him to save us. 
That baby came into the world to do what we cannot do. He's going to do it 33 years after his birth. That's the foundation of Christmas. God's love. And who is this baby? He's Christ the Lord. And Jesus is the one whose birth gives us a glimpse of God. I have three characteristics I'm going to point out. There are all kinds of them, but the first one is his humility. And I don't think we often think of God's humility. Now, humility gets understood in lots of ways. I think humility is just this at its core, having an accurate view of who you are. Now, if there's anybody that has an accurate view of who they are, let me assure you, it's God. He gets who he is. But the humility in this, God comes to earth, he's born of two parents that nobody knows. There's nothing that sets them apart, nothing that distinguishes them. He's born in a stable. Almighty God leaves the glory of heaven and is born in a stable. Those who it's announced to who become his first visitors are shepherds. Now, Anne Rand, years ago, is an author, and she talked about second-handers. And second-handers are folks who, rather than finding their real identity in who they are and what they've done, find their identity in what other people think about what they've done. They're looking for the approval of others. And I, I read about this back when I was in college, and I tell you, the more I've thought about it, I go, it's what we wrestle with as human beings. Identity, significance, importance. We want to get credit for who we are and what we have done. I don't think there's anything necessarily unfair about that, but the ideal is that our identity is in who we are and what we've accomplished and what other people think of that. That ought to not form our identity. And I've told you the story about years ago when the truth of this hit me right between the eyes. Because if you'd asked me at that time, how much do I wrestle with that? I'd have told you, not that much. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in who I am in Jesus and my faith. And I've told you about this time where we're at a pastoral gathering. This has to be 25 years ago. My associate was 15 years older than me. People assumed he was the lead pastor. And this discomfort I felt. I'm the lead guy. Then I've told you about the great challenges. I want them to think I'm humble, but I also want them to know I'm the lead guy. How do you solve that? God doesn't wrestle with this. God doesn't wrestle with this. He's just happy being God. There's nothing better than being God. Paul in Philippians writes about Jesus coming into the world. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what he's saying here 
is he didn't cling on to being recognized as who he is. When he became a human being, he forfeited being recognized as God. I'm going to tell you, I still like getting credit for who I am and for what I do. I'm a little further along than I was 25 years ago, but I still like it. He left the glory of heaven. He forfeited being recognized as God. He didn't need that to feel good about himself. That's what Paul says ought to be our example in terms of our love. And we're going to look at this text a little bit more next week, but emptied himself. I would just want to say this. He never stopped being any bit of God. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He didn't empty himself by giving up any godness. We're going to talk about this more next week. He emptied himself of being recognized as God while he retained all his godness. He emptied himself not by giving anything up, but by becoming one of us, taking something on. The humility of God. But the key, and we talk about that a lot around here, the key to joy in life is figuring out who God is because he is glorious. And God doesn't want us to find him so full of glory because he needs it, but because that's actually the source of our joy. So we see his humility in the incarnation, but don't miss his glory either. Mary had never actually been with Joseph in an intimate way or any other man. We see his humility, but folks, this has never ever happened before and will never happen again. We see his humility, but don't miss his glory. And the announcement comes to shepherds, but who's the guy that makes the announcement? An angel. And then there's an angel choir. This doesn't happen for anybody else's birth. So we see his humility. We see his glory. But the foundation of it all is his love. His love for us. We celebrate this holiday. His love. I've watched a few announcements on television. I've been reading things. And there's a lot of people that associate love with Christmas. I love that. I don't love that it feels like to me they can't all trace it back to its ultimate source. But we can. We're in the book of John. We've been working through it. We got through the first 12 chapters. Jesus' entire public ministry in 12 chapters. Then we got to chapter 13. We're in chapter 14. Nice job last week, Johnny. Very nice job. Uh, Chapter 14. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are Jesus at the Last Supper, one meal. 
And it's a long text filled with life, filled with inspiration, filled with truth that is life transforming in this one meal. Began with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. God Almighty washing their feet. An interchange with Judas, where essentially Jesus says, go and do what you need to do. And he tells the disciples, you can't be with me where I'm going. Then he gives them this command. We looked at it two weeks ago. A new command I give you that you must love, that you love one another. Again, Jesus is saying this. You're not going to go with me. I'm leaving my authority and the responsibility for promoting who I am and what I've done with all of you. If there's one thing I want you to get right, get this right. Love is the characteristic. That's how you know people that love Jesus. Because he's about love. This whole Christmas thing is about love. A new command I give you. Love one another. Here's the key. As I have loved you, his loving us is what empowers us to love others. That's our prayer as leaders for everybody here. That during this Christmas holiday, we will more fully experience his love dealing with a story and text that are very familiar. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. At the beginning, pretty much, he says, a new command I give you that you love one another. Love is the key. Here's how he ends it. Here's how he ends. He ends by praying for the disciples and for everybody at the end of this dinner. It's a beautiful prayer. Lord, help us to get this. Here's how he ends the whole thing. Life is about experiencing the love of God. Here's how he ends everything he says at that dinner, which is full of great stuff. Jesus says to his father as he prays in front of the disciples, I've made known to them your name, your glory, and I will continue to make it known that the love, this is the foundation of it, with which you have loved me may be in them. The love that the father and the son Share for one another. It's the foundation of it all. I want that love to be in them. And I in them. Ah, we see so much from the one's birth. Ah, we see God's humility. Ah, we see his glory and we see his love. And then Jesus is the one whose birth delivers hope, joy, and love. I hope you have heard me uh, use those three terms as a description that I believe ought to be the clearest description of who we are as those who treasure Jesus. The clearest description of who we are as a church. Because we get who the one is. We live lives of hope. The world is a mess, not going to belabor it. The world is full of hard things for absolutely everybody. One of the hardest things for me is interacting with folks who are losing hope 
in a dimension of their life where they're gravitating towards hopelessness, usually financial, relational, or oftentimes physical. This baby came into the world to give us hope in every context, in every situation. He never guaranteed that the circumstances ever would work out exactly like we would prefer. But here's what the baby's promised. To save us, to indwell us, to work in every possible situation for our deepest well-being. Because he wants us to live with hope. I shared with you a couple of months ago a dear friend of mine. We've been buddies 40 years who was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. We talked for about an hour this week. We talked pretty regularly. The pancreatic cancer is uh, taking the route that it typically takes, if you know anything about that. This is really not a good one. Now, he loves Christ. We talked about Thanksgiving. We each got to be with our families. We talked about what he's doing for Christmas. He's not naive. Death's door is a little closer for him than for most of us. The hope he has in his voice. The hope he has in his life. He knows exactly what's going on. But he's looking at the final enemy, the final biggest obstacle. With hope. Because he gets who the one is. It's what this baby's about. Hope. Joy. Ah. God created us to be happy. That drive is in us. We cannot excise it. We cannot get rid of it. And it's there, God put it there, to drive us to find a relationship with him. Our problem is never that we want to be too happy. I've told you, for the first 20-odd years of my life, I thought that was my problem. I just wanted to be too happy. And it wasn't until I figured out in my early 20s that I was just too stupid. I was looking for a deep, lasting joy in places that it could never be found. My problem wasn't that I wanted to be happy. My problem was that I was too easily satisfied with stuff other than the one. Life's hard. Challenges. Always will be. But this baby arrived to bring hope, to bring joy. And I've already talked about it quite a bit. 
but love. Part of the reason I keep going back here is because it just feels like we have a hard time sometimes actually seeing what this is all about. Life at its core, folks, is about love. I like rock music. I like basketball. I like uh, watching Netflix, I like my job, I like lots of things out there. Lots of you people are going, Todd, you even have found any of the best superficial stuff. There's way better stuff. Oh, food, did I leave that one out? Oh, man. I had a steak last night that I cooked on the grill. Tell me God isn't good to us. But the core of all this, here's what life's about. It's about being loved. And from that love, loving others. God's design is that we get it from our parents and we pass it on to our kids. We do the best we can. Some of us, that's not been a great experience. I'm sorry. When you talk about all the great stuff in life, I also find great joy in golf, playing with some buddies. It's about love. Families, friends, work associates, the church family. It's what life's about. I've been asked several times over the years, so if God's so loving, how can there be evil and pain in the world? Usually by folks that are still trying to figure out whether or not they want to trust Jesus. You know what question I've never been asked? Once. Where's the love in the world come from? I'm just going to tell you, we people are not always that thoughtful. We just presume goodness and love, goodness and love from God. All love. All love. Whether the people that are doing it, recognize it or not, emanates from he who is love. We were in, uh, we were in uh, Boston for a couple of days in New Hampshire. That's my oldest daughter, Kirsten, her husband, Phil, and from right to left, Colton, Deacon, and Emerson. They live out east and lived out east for several years. Once or twice a year, we get to be with them for about a week. Many of you know that experience with your kids and grandkids. I love FaceTime, love the phone, but it's not the same being with them. We're at the Old North Church. You guys remember Paul Revere? One if by land, two if by sea. We're seeing that we walk the Freedom Trail. I'm going to tell you, it was a boatload of fun on the Freedom Trail. Didn't come close to hanging with those people you see on the screen. I could have been in Siberia with them. And I'd have had just about as much fun. Because life at its core is about love. And Jesus is the one, because of his love, 
because of the Father's love. That's why he came into this world. So I'm going to encourage you to do some things here. And don't worry, if I trip and fall, please be assured I have plenty of padding. My doctor has encouraged me I probably wouldn't even get a bruise. Read Luke 2, 1 to 14 every day this week. And as you read it, you just ask God to do this. Help me experience your love a little bit more. I know the story. And then sit in it for a few minutes. Lord, help me experience that love just a little more fully. Initiate conversations about Christmas with family and friends. Start with questions. Let's be great at asking questions. You got kids at home? Again, if you need a list of questions, text me, email me. Hey, what do you like about Christmas? Do you have a favorite Christmas memory? Just see where the conversation goes. Maybe you get an opportunity to talk about what Christmas means to you. Maybe not. This is a season where everybody's filled with this seasonal love. Let's embrace it. Let's enjoy it. Let's use it. To the point, to point to the source of our love that isn't limited by the season. Then pick one friend you know that doesn't yet get Christmas. And just hang with them and see where it goes. Coffee, lunch, invite them to dinner. I don't care. But people are just warmer this time of year. Can you feel it already? People are just nicer. Let's use this as a chance to share with some of those who haven't quite yet figured it out. And then, at the end of it, enjoy the celebrations because every one of them ultimately is a celebration of the love of God. If there's anybody that ought to know how to party, let me tell you who I think it is. Christians. If there's anybody that ought to know how to celebrate, it ought to be Christians. We got the truth, the hope, the joy, the love, and we're celebrating the love of God. If that isn't worth celebrating, guys, I have trouble coming up with an idea that is. So for those of us that are a little uptight, relax. And don't get so tied up in all the preparations that you can't actually fully enjoy the celebration. But let's party. God loves us and sent his son into the world. Next Sunday night, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to come and particularly invite your friends to next Sunday night's Christmas concert. If you weren't here, I never make promises like this that I remember. You will not be disappointed. You will leave here having heard some fabulous moving, being encouraged in Jesus in a way that's not intimidating, and people will go, wow. They will have fun. So, at home, wherever you are, come back with us. We're going to celebrate Christmas, three more Sundays, and Christmas Eve. Lord, you are good. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for sending Jesus into this world. Oh, Father, 
This story is filled with meaning, with life, with vitality. Oh, Father, we acknowledge and confess none of us appreciate that as fully as we could. But even in this, we need your help, and we're confident you're going to give it to us because you love us. So I pray for everyone here. I pray you start with me. Not because I'm any more important than anyone else. Father, I just don't want to miss it. May the truth and depth, the meaning of Christmas, your love, Father, may we all experience that more fully in these weeks. And I pray, Father, for our kids, for our neighbors, for our work associates. Oh, may that love which is founded in you, may it flow out of us. No matter what challenges, disagreements, oh, potential even fights there might be. Father, may your love ground us and may we be known, everybody who considers RCC home, may we all be considered as your disciples because of the love we have for one another. That's our prayer.